Welcome back to another episode of the Brew Deck Podcast. I am your host, Heather Jared. I am joined uh, right now by Adam Wilson. How's it going, Adam? Oh, it's fantastic. How about yourself? Yeah, so far so good on this uh, lovely November day out on the West Coast. It's a little rainy out here. It's doing the same thing right here, but it is the perfect weather to talk about barrel aged beers. Uh, Yeah, we've got a really great episode today. We're going to be talking to uh, Sean Sasser from um, Cigar City Brewing in Tampa, Florida, where it's probably not cold and raining, uh, as well as John Laffman from Martin House Brewing in Fort Worth, Texas. I dare to say this will be a barrel of fun. Oh, and the dad jokes keep coming. (laughs) <laughs> and this is why we love having you as part of the team, Adam. That's <laughs> the main reason why I'm here. <laughs> Both of these guests are going to talk to us about uh, sourcing barrels, barrel maintenance, uh, general things on you know you might need to know to get a barrel program up and running at your brewery. So uh, take a listen. All right, before we jump into our episode, uh, we want to talk about the Pink Boots Hot Blend again for you. And today we are joined by Sydney Massivero, the technical brewer for Yakima Chief Hops. Welcome, Sydney. Hi, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Good. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your role with YCH and um, your experience with the Pink Boots Society? Yeah, yeah. So um, what I do at Yakima Chief is I work with our R&D and sales team to uh, produce beer using our experimental hops and products for, you know, on-site evaluation through our sensory program, as well as, um, you know, industry events like CBC. Um, I also work with our brewing partners to help execute trials and collaborations using those uh, new experimental products and hop varieties. So um, I make beer for my, yeah, my coworkers and our industry peers to drink um, and yeah, try out fun new products coming out of our R&D lab. So I was going to say, you kind of have the coolest job ever. It's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, can you tell us a bit about the Pink Boots Hot Blend this year? Yeah. So this year's blend includes uh, El Dorado, Autanum, Idaho 7, and HBC 638. So um, internally, we have found that uh, that blend kind of comes off with some strong berry, orange, and stone fruit notes. And then there's also some uh, floral and earthy kind of more noble like notes so it's a pretty neutral uh blend which is really exciting and i think that's kind of what they were going for this year to Mm -hmm. see it across you know multiple different uh types of beer styles oh that's so cool have you got to work with it at all yet not yet no i am working on planning a uh international women's day brew here at uh, yakima chief with the ladies that work here and yeah i'm really excited about that but yeah i gotta smell it and it smells awesome (laughs) oh wicked well as you have the coolest job in the world uh being the brewer at ych uh so you get to spend your day kind of coming up with really cool recipes to highlight all the products that you have there uh what beer styles are you excited to see this hot blend go into Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know, it's going to work really well in those, you know, hazy pale ale and IPA formats. Um, You know, West Coast and cold IPAs are kind of having a little bit of a resurgence, and I think Mm -hmm. it would be good in that format as well. But anytime I can find a way to brew a lager, (laughs) I will. So I would love to see it (laughs) in a lager format. Um, I think kind of the more out there uh, styles that would be kind of fun for this blend would be um, ESB. That would be pretty cool see it in there since it has some earthy and herbal floral character to it It might be kind of like a nice fun twist for that style and then um another one of my personal favorites is sours so Mm -hmm. any sort of like sour maybe like a goza would be kind of cool um yeah oh there's a lot of a lot of cool things that can this can be used for i love that um esb suggestion I think that sounds absolutely fantastic. Uh, but I'm, oh, yeah, I'm always down for a good lager as well. So I, I think, you know, to be able to really highlight all the really cool aspects of this blend, that would be really, really cool. Um, for everybody listening, um, we have limited availability of the hot blend this year. It is very much a while supplies last. So make sure you pre order uh, so you don't miss out. Uh, reach out to um, CMG or YCH to pre order. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sydney. Yeah, thank you. And we are now uh, very lucky to be joined uh, by 
Sean Sasser from Cigar City Brewing in Tampa, Florida. Sean is the brewing manager at Cigar City. Uh, Sean, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your role at Cigar City. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm Sean Sasser. I'm the brewing manager at Cigar City Brewing. Uh, I focus a lot on innovation and barrel aging projects. So innovation of new beers, the tasting room innovation that can come out in the for distributed beers. And um, I still, from my early days as a seller and barrel manager, have held on to the, uh, the fun role of uh, putting together uh, blends of barrels and creating a lot of our projects. Oh, that's so fun. I literally told Shay and I'm like, I feel like a blender is a job that I want to do. <laughs> I feel like that is a really, really fun job. Am I completely wrong? It's an incredible job. Um, I have a lot of fun with it because it's each barrel is going to express differently and each barrel is going to be unique. And so a lot of the times if you you can approach it two ways, if you start out with uh, a blank canvas, you can create the beers, uh, blend the beers to fit a unique and fun profile that may be new or exciting. Or if you have a predetermined um project in mind a lot of the times you can meet those goals by finding different complementary barrels that's that's cool uh and you guys have your own barrel program uh obviously called el catador if i'm not mistaken that is correct pretty good you yeah, have my spanish pretty good there that was good that was it was perfect Thanks. thank you uh gonna give us a give us a little bit of rundown on the uh on the program and some of the trials and errors you go through and some of the success stories <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So uh, the El Catador Club uh, has been our barrel age club. We are currently on Club 17. Oh, wow. Um, so we've been doing it for quite some time. Uh, the club turns twice a year, and there is uh, seven barrel age beers released per club. Um, you get two 500 mil bottles uh, during each release. So you get a total of 14 bottles in six months. Um, plus, you know, other discounts and stuff in the tasting room, which are little perks. But um, yeah, no, we try to approach each different club with um, a loose theme and uh, which helps drive uh, the blends and the creative process behind uh, what kind of beers that we're going to produce. Um, so uh, we're in Club 17 right now. So we chose to uh, pick a... Uh, it was an NC-17 horror movie theme. So we went through a lot of classic horror movies um, and kind of developed beers that would relate to those those uh, spooky classics. Oh, that's amazing. Um, Give me an example. Uh, so we have um, uh, a beer uh, kind of based off of uh, some of the... Uh, werewolf movies out there um so we uh made a black forest cake stout um yeah some of the those early myths uh stemmed from germany and uh from the black forest region and so we we decided to pay homage to that by making a you know a chocolate cherry really rich fudgy stout that's awesome <laughs> this is making me hungry and thirsty all at the same time <laughs> um so I mean, being doing this program down in Florida, um, what are some of the uh, what are some of the the issues that you that you typically run into? Well, um, the weather is not uh, the best for barrel aging beers, but there's a lot of ways that you can um, go about uh, circumventing typical barrel aging temperatures and making the best of a hot and humid situation. Um, we do a lot of uh, barrel turning, which is uh, taking stacks of barrels and rotating them. So uh, as we know, heat rises in the top of the warehouse is often much hotter than the bottom of the warehouse. And so we try to give each barrel uh, some time up top, some time in the middle, some time at the bottom. So we don't have a segment of barrels that are just cooking all year. Um, and the segment of barrels that had a, a better, more hospitable temperature. Um, it requires a lot more careful blending and a lot more um, sensory over uh, is 
uh, over time, um, instead of, you know, having a perfect 60 degree climate controlled warehouse where a lot of times you can age these beers for two to three years without getting too tannic, too oaky, too spicy. Um, we, uh, have to try, I, I try the barrels. Um, not every barrel cause we have usually between three and 400 barrels, uh, going at a time. Uh, I usually pick a, a representative sample of each project and go through them once a month to see where they're at and then make the call from there. Um, and once I feel they're ready, I put them in front of our sensory team and we can start going through and figuring out like, okay, this beer probably needs another two months. Or if we give this another two months, it's going to be a tannic mess. We got to get it out now. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, it's a, it just takes a lot more focus and care when you don't have the luxury of climate control. Yeah, fair enough. So that's uh, just to do some quick math there. You say you have about 300 at any one time and you test about once a month. So that's on average 10 tests a day. Do you ever go home sober? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I do. I, they're like half ounce samples. So I'm just gotcha. kind of giving a, giving a, a rough uh, approximation of what it's doing. Yeah, no, it's um, it's uh, days like today where we have a collaboration brewery that we're blending and we are invited the collaborating brewery to come over and try them with us that I'll be consuming more nice. than a half ounce. Uh, so we can really nitpick, go in, and then we'll be doing several different blends and putting it in front of people. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little more heavier consumption, even though it's only eight barrels we're blending. Um, but uh, it's the fun of it. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can't if you can't have fun when you're doing a collab, I don't know why you're doing the collab then. Exactly. So, so you guys mentioned on your website uh, that you conduct frequent sensory panels uh, on all the beers that you're aging in barrels. Can you tell yes. us about how you organize that panel and what you're looking for in the barrel-aged beers? Absolutely. Um, so the, what I'm looking for in each beer varies between the projects, varies between the style, the type of barrel. Um, we have a phenomenal sensory team that we've put to go, put, put together over a number of years. I believe the shortest tenure of a person on our sensory team is five years here. Um, so we've been doing it together for a long time and we've kind of learned each other's sensitivities, learned each other's weaknesses and learned, um, what each person prefers in a barrel. And so um, we, yeah, we, we take, you know, eight to 16 barrelage samples and we will go through, make detailed notes on each barrel and then compare our notes at the end. Um, and kind of most of the 80% of the time we are pretty much on uh, in concurrence with each other. Um, we, Definitely disagree on certain things. There's a couple of people who really want a boozier barrel-aged beer. Some of us want to be a little bit softer. Some want to be a bit more full-bodied. Some want to be a little bit more, uh, quote-unquote, drinkable by not being, you know, some sickly sweet 17 finishing Play-Doh stout. Um, so it just depends on the preference, which makes it much easier when you have a project in mind. Um to guide everyone because we can say like, Hey, I really like this barrel, but it doesn't fit in with this project. Um, so most of the time I'll earmark it in a list and say, all right, perfect. I know what this is going to be good for in a couple months. And so I'll put that aside. We'll come up with our final blend. Uh, we'll try it several different times. And then, um, you know, once we empty the barrels, we'll obviously give it another sensory. We'll give it another. We'll run through all our lab specs uh, to make sure it's uh, it's all clean and good to package. Um, but, yeah, our, our sensory team does an exhaustive job of going through each barrel, pointing out its pros and cons, and um, trying to figure it out. Because a lot of the times you can have a barrel that is too much of something. And you can have a barrel that is too little of something, but they all have different attributes that are positive. And putting them together definitely creates um, something that's uh, greater than the sum of its parts. Um, because not only 
giving new things, but they balance each other out. So, um, and I think it takes a while to genuinely begin to understand the interplay of flavors, uh, especially flavors that are as complex and barrel-aged beers. Um, so that's why, yeah, our team is, it's, it's not small, it's six people. Um, but yeah, we, I, I trust them all implicitly because yeah, we've been doing it together for a long time. That's really cool. Uh, what would you say is, uh, like, what, what are some of the things you've learned from experimentation with this, uh, barrel age program? Um, I've learned, uh, what barrels go with what styles, um, how to push certain beer limits, what kind of, um, what and the biggest thing I've learned is what people want and what people don't want. <laughs> and um, that's, you can only learn that by putting out products and seeing the reaction to them and then kind of gauging uh, your process to make a, a, a final beer that is as accessible to as many people as possible. We still put out, some very esoteric and polarizing beers um, because if you're just playing it safe all the time, what's the fun in that? Um, but a lot of the time, yeah, we, we, we go through, we do our blends, um, blends of different barrel age, uh, barrels, different types of beer. And uh, we come out with something uh, that we, we believe is going to be very, uh, well received by the public um most of the time we're right some of the times we are very wrong uh and it's just learning from those uh we're lucky that we on average put out about 20 ish barrel age beers a year so we have a lot of feedback constant feedback on what's working and what's not what would you do you have any like examples of the ones that like don't work I've learned real fast that people do not want fruit in their imperial stouts. Um, I absolutely love them, but the average, uh, if, if you look at, you know, rating sites and get some feedback from our, our fantastic tasting room staff, people are not into them. Um, there is a, obviously the barley wine is life movement still moves strong, but a lot of people, um, I mean, you could ask Kevin that, uh, <laughs> We uh we love putting up barley wines and we really hang our hat on the barley wines that we produce, but it's still a more polarizing style than just your plain Jane Imperial style. Yeah. So um especially the way we push different barrels and different barrel blends is we we try to create something very unique. Um and uh, that's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. But um, some examples, yeah, barley wines, um, fruited stouts, definitely a no-go. Um, yeah. And then certain adjuncts uh, that we've put in different beers um, go over really well. I mean, coconut's always going to be a hit. Um, but uh, hazelnut's a little bit more polarizing. We've, we've done those that you know a lot before too um coffee is definitely an adjunct that uh while it sounds great can be very polarizing on how you treat your process um because if you're not careful you can get into that peppery green pepper jalapeno kind of notes um that a lot of people can't pick up but when you pick it up it's bad um some other successes that we've had have definitely been, I'd say the majority of it is blending different barrels that are going to have different profiles. Blending a bourbon barrel with a port barrel with a cognac barrel to get the different complexities of each, creating something that is um, definitely uh, unique but also inviting. Um, but you really have to balance how much of what you're using and how they interplay because it's really easy to get muddled. 
So when you're doing your barrel blending, this all sounds really interesting and talking about, you know, different types of barrels that you are blending. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what components go into determining what barrels you're going to blend with each other? And then a follow-up question to that, when you're doing your blending, are you doing any sort of, uh, are you blending back any sort of fresh beer into barrel aged product as well? Um, yes. So, um, what goes into our uh, determining what we're going to blend um, is the style of beer and the barrel uh, itself. And then if we know of any adjunct that will be added um, post blending. So we're picking out stuff that if we're adding adjuncts, we're picking something obviously that's um, going to be complimentary. Um, we have, you know, some stouts or stouts or old ales or the like that we purposely uh focus the malt bill to be nuttier to be a bit more toasty um if we're adding things like hazelnuts or peanuts to the beer um if we are um going for something a little bit fruitier taking something that's going to be a crowd pleaser like a bourbon or a rye and then adding something that's going to bring in some bright estuary or Venice characters. Um, like uh, we did a, a Baltic Porter that was in these amazing uh, Pinot Noir barrels from uh, the Pacific Northwest. And they imparted these really rich raspberry lavender um, notes to uh, the finished product that uh, we we were hoping for, but we weren't necessarily expecting them to be as pronounced as they were. So knowing what I'm getting out of it, and that's the other reason of tasting them so often, is to start picking up early on in the process of where beer is going. And so I, knowing, you know, the next club is going to be nine months away, um, by the time it gets to that period where, you know, this barrel will be needed, it's going to be, you know, fully developed and I have a good idea of where it's going and its maturation. It's, uh, yeah. So it's really just knowing your product, trying everything constantly and, uh, nine times out of 10, the barrel and the beer will show you the roadmap of where you're going. It's up to you then to push it in the right direction in terms of blending. Because, um, yeah, the barrel barrels are going to be unique, and they are going to, uh, yeah, they're going to show you what they are. And it's, yeah, it's up to the blender to make the most out of what it's giving. In terms of the second question, uh, depending on the type of barrel, we will. Um, we did a uh, a couple years ago a mezcal barrel aged imperial stout that was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, again, a very polarizing beer because if you're not like smoke, earthy, um, a little salinity. Um, oh, like vegetal, like some cucumber, almost like um, like spa water kind of aroma. Um, yeah, it's uh, so when we did the final blend, we were like, this is awesome. And absolutely no one is going to drink it. Um, so, yeah, we had to take some other uh, unbarrel-aged imperial stout and, and kind of tone everything back in a way that was still making the beer very barrel forward, but not to the point where it was so overwhelming that um, most people would pick it up and go, this is just too much for me to even wrap my head around. That's really interesting. And kind of like you said, the barrel's going to do whatever the barrel's going to do. It's kind of like a you're along for the ride type of process. Absolutely. Like. Absolutely. Uh, but it sounds like uh, blending back some fresh beer might give you a little bit more control on that final product. Definitely. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And just knowing your, your barrel stock, 
And um, there's been a couple times where we've done a project, blended together, put in the bright, and we're like, all right, this is good, but it's missing something. And so I'll dip into another project and be like, all right, if I throw this in there, um, I think it's going to round out the whole thing. And a lot of the times it does. And uh, but yeah, if you don't know what you're working with and what you got, it's hard to just pull something out of a hat and be like, all right, this will work. That's very cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you go about sourcing barrels? Sure. Yeah. Uh, sourcing barrels is um, very important and luckily easier than it's ever been. Um, we uh, use a number of different brokers. Uh, broker Going through barrel brokers is by far the easiest way um, to uh, get the barrels that you need because you can order as many or as little as you want. Um, as opposed to saying developing a relationship with a, a distiller direct, you might um, you might be able to get full truckloads. And if you don't want two hundred wooden barrels at a time, that might not work for you. Um, yeah, these brokers give a lot of flexibility, and the quality of the broker has improved vastly over. My 14 years of doing this, um, it's definitely, uh, yeah, uh, a much easier process. And because a lot of times, um, if you, you know, aren't a jerk and you order some barrels from them, a lot of times you can call them up again and be like, hey, I really like these barrels. I'm looking for something in the same vein. Or um, you can start describing the profile that you want and uh, they'll be nice enough to tell you. And because obviously they want their business, but you start to develop a, uh, a relationship and a trust with them. Um, and a lot of times, uh, what I found is a lot of the brokers themselves used to be brewers. And so they know the, the interplay between a barrel and a beer and so they have some firsthand experience of being like, okay, this bourbon is really spicy. Um, it's going to be a little drier, um, but this one is going to be more what you're looking for, more of that vanilla, coconut, chocolate. Um, so yeah, it's it's all as the whole industry is about is developing relationships. So when you're going into it and like you're calling your broker, do you know kind of? you've kind of pre-planned, like, I want bourbon and these are the aspects I'm looking for to come out of the barrel. Or are you kind of like a, I'll take what I can get at this point in time, like, or has that changed? Like you said, it's, it's gotten easier. Has, has it, was it previously like, I'll take what I can get. And now it's like, I know exactly what I want. Can you find this for me? Um, it's a mix. So previously, say 10 years ago, we can get cool barrels, but you had to go through what? two or three guys that may or may not have them. And you have still had, I don't know, 10 years ago, what, 3,500 breweries that are looking for them. Um, you today, yeah, it's a much easier because there's dozens of barrel brokers, all of decent quality. Um, so yeah, you don't have to worry quite as much about not finding what you want because nine times out of 10, you can find a broker that's going to have what you want. They may be a new broker for you. Um, but, and you know, Googling things is easier than ever. So a lot of times you can find out on the internet, what, uh, what, uh, the stock they have. Um, and, uh, you know, using your internal resources of other friends in the brewing industry, you reach out to them and be like, Hey, this is, I know you've done a similar thing that I'm looking to, you know, do something along the same line. Who did you go through and can you give me the contact information? Um, yeah. And we definitely, I, I approach purchasing barrels kind of uh, in, in two ways. A lot of the times I have some project in mind. Um, so I'm going in with some intent. But every time I talk to a barrel broker, I ask 
what unique barrels they have because a lot of the times they'll surprise you mm-hmm. and they'll give you'll say like something off the wall that you never expected to hear um and um you, uh, you a lot of times i'll just purchase them on the fly i won't order a lot of them but i'll order enough to get an idea of what they're going to do so i can put out a small tasting room batch with them uh, or use it as blending uh beer uh, into a different project that i don't know what's the I don't know what that project may be, but then I know I have this in my arsenal when I'm looking for uh, something to add complexity to something else. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we got um, some really cool uh, ex-bourbon orange liqueur barrels a couple years ago that we um, I had no idea what to do with until we decided to make like a chocolate orange barrel aged beer. And I was like, wow, this is this is cool. And had I not asked the question of what, what, what new do you have and what is, you know, off the beaten path? Yeah. I would have never known that they had those. So, so you can't always go in with exactly what you want in mind. You got to try and see if there's something cool and new out there. Absolutely. And I think that's, um, especially in, uh, the competitive beer market that we are in currently, mm-hmm. I think that I think that mindset benefits everyone in every aspect of brewing um, and beer making and beer selling. Is that you really need to go into it with a open mind and be ready to pivot? Can we talk a bit about barrel maintenance? Sure. Um, yeah. What does it take to maintain your barrels? Um. So we try to fill them up as quickly as possible. We do uh, uh, an inspection on them, making sure that they're, you know, relatively closed up. Um, uh, yeah, that they'll hold hold a beer in them. Uh, so we might do a small like half psi pressure test and spray it with a uh, some some liquid to see if there's bubbles coming out. Uh, we might give it a quick fill with some hot liquor, see if anything leaks. Uh, if there's any question, though, about the integrity of the barrel, we do have a um, a little portable st- uh, sanitary steam generator that we'll, we'll hit the barrel with for a little bit. Um, but that is not as big of an issue anymore because of the quality of the barrels that the brokers are getting now. And uh, the demand for barrels is so high that they're not sitting in warehouses like they used to for months at a time drying out. Um, the worst thing a brewer can can find and receive is a completely dry barrel. And that's becoming a harder and harder thing to receive because the quality of uh, what we're getting is definitely improving. That's good. So we, um, but yeah, we, we have the tools to repair a barrel. Um, but every time you steam, you're ripping a layer of flavor out of that thing. Um, every time you rinse, you're rinsing out potential good qualities from the barrel. Um, so we try not to, and that's again, coming, going back to, uh, having relationships, knowing that, and setting your expectations with a broker and being like, hey, I'm I'm ordering this from you because I know it's going to hold. Um, and yeah, with, with, with the demand, um, with a lot more um, scrutiny than there used to be about barrel quality, uh, the brokers know that they have to show up and they have to provide a product that will be uh as advertised do you ever uh, do second use barrels do you ever empty a barrel and then reuse it for a different project or is it kind of a one and done type situation 99 percent of the time it's a one and done situation got it Um, is that just because you know you use up a lot of the flavor attributes the first time around or is it a a a quality thing yeah a lot of the times uh so it's um it's a little bit of both it's um if we did, and when we have done second use barrels, we have definitely given them a thorough rinse, a steam, and then filled them back up again. But there's diminishing returns in adding uh, beer to a, a second use barrel. It's not going to be as potent as the as the first use, um, which may, may be something that you know the 
the brewer blender is looking for. Um, uh, we definitely try to stick with with one use if possible. But um, there's a lot of brewers who use two use, and uh, they're having success, and uh, good for them. Um, we uh, are in the fortunate position where we don't have to. Uh, but yeah, and we also um, we now have uh, a little still, uh, not a little still. It's a it's a large still, but it's not. I mean, it's not huge. But uh, that uh, our our head distiller is making some really cool spirits in. So these second use barrels are per- or second use barrels are perfect for giving to him. That's very cool. It's kind of like a Bruce Stillery type situation. We have a lot of uh, listeners who are in that same position. So that's very cool to hear. Yeah, it's perfect for us. Awesome. Uh, so you have a, you know, a very well-established barrel program. Do you have any advice that you can share for anyone who is wanting to start a barrel-age program? Absolutely. Um, go in with intent. Don't... Barrel-aging isn't going to fix anything. You can't put bad beer in barrels and hope that it's sellable. It's not going to happen. Go in with intent and know what you're trying to accomplish, but be ready to make changes if the barrel expresses in a way you didn't predict. Um, Start small. Uh, If you make a ton of barrel-aged beer right off the bat, and have you know you know especially in a smaller market that um a lot of these smaller breweries might be in um you may not be able to sell it all or you might not be able to package it all um and yeah it's it's barrel aging is an expensive endeavor um so i often tell some of my friends who are small opening smaller breweries or even larger breweries that um, establish yourself, know your audience, know your clientele, get to feel for your area, and um, then go and make beers that you're going to be happy with, that are going to meet the audience needs, and um, yeah, plan for that instead of just going in blind. Um, a lot of times, it's it's easy for brewers to especially brand new breweries where you may have um your license to brew before your tasting room is open and you're trying to figure out something to do so why not order some barrels and make some barrel aged beer and throw it in there and then you know uh you might be two two months from opening that's just another two months of uh aging on something you can you can sell quicker than you might have if you waited till you were completely open uh if so some people have success success with that some people don't I would say start small, start small. We, we didn't start here with, you know, 400, 500 barrels. We started with 30. We started with 20. Um, the early, early, early days we had like six. Um, and then we found what was popular. We found that our audience was asking for it. Um, despite how hot it is in Florida, there is a very unique draw to big beers here. Yeah, we, we started small and grew as the need grew. Um, uh, because, yeah, there, you don't want to go in with some type of hubris thinking that you, you're going to be the best brewer in the world and make a ton of product and then end up spending a lot of your resources on it that uh, could have gone to something more beneficial early on in uh, the brewery's life. So, and if you're an established brewery, you already know your audience. So, you know, cater to them. It's, I, I feel like a lot of the time, um, young brewers are still very um, driven by making product that they want. And that's great. But you still need to have an audience that's willing to buy it too. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, making something that people want, and then you know, you can always do beers for yourself, just maybe not all the time. 
uh, not saying that there's gonna be quality differences, just, you know, suck up your pride, make good beer that is also profitable. Um, especially in the early years, because yeah, you, yeah, you don't, you don't know what, uh, the future may hold. It's not 2009 anymore that no matter what you make, people are going to drink it. The, the, the customer has a much more discerning palate, uh, and, um, they are much more well-versed in what your community offers. So they can find, you know, if, if there's 30 breweries in your area, there's 30 different options for barrel-aged beers or just beers in general. And if you're not making what they want, they'll find someone who is. That is, I just took down so many notes. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty awesome. Thanks for that, John. Uh, as we wrap things up here, uh, can you give us uh, one or two things that uh, Cigar City fans uh, might have to look forward to over the next uh, over the next month or two, whether from the Barrel Age program or just in general? Absolutely. So we um, it's going to be announced soon. So this may be uh, a little spoiler. Sorry, marketing. Um, we have a really, really, really fun project we've been working on that comes to the fruition on november 25th uh which is our family reunion project um we have collabed with 15 breweries that have uh people either running brewing uh marketing somewhere in a senior role uh in those breweries that came from Cigar City and had a meaningful impact on Cigar City. We're very lucky to have a very uh, a very successful uh, group of people who have you know cut their chops here. Um, and so we did 15 collaborations, five of which are barrel aged. The five barrel aged bottles will be coming out on November 25th. Uh, the parties, there's no tickets. It's open to the public. We will have probably 20-ish beers from other breweries and our own collaborations uh, pouring there. Uh, we couldn't be more proud of what we have accomplished with this because it's so much fun to bring your old friends back. It's so much fun to collaborate in general, but also collaborate with people that you genuinely care about. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure to be working on this project and to be so close to everything coming out. Uh, I'm very excited for it. That's so good. Well, awesome. Uh, really, really great to have you on, Sean. This has been just you're a wealth of knowledge on this uh, topic, obviously. Um, and if anybody's kicking around in the Tampa area, make sure you pop into Cigar City and go see them. Thanks so yeah. much. Thank you so much. All right. I'm uh, looking forward to having this individual on today, uh, John Laffman. He's the brewmaster and head of production over at Martin House Brewing out in Fort Worth. What's up, John? What's up? What's up? You know, I'm glad that uh that you and I touched base uh several weeks back at one of the uh the Texas Guild meetings that y'all hosted at, at your place. Uh and I will say that Martin House has always done a really, really good job and been been very supportive of everything local, including the the craft guild here in Texas. So um glad that we got to catch up. Uh, briefly out there, John, and and I really appreciate what you and uh, Martin House does with supporting the local guild because I think it's important, especially post COVID, right? Like to get yeah. all of the fellow brewers out and and uh, you know a lot of the uh, the industry folks together in one spot. And I, I really had a good time, so thank y'all for hosting that. Yeah, thanks. It was a major rager, lots of fun. Well, it's it's uh, awesome to have you on, John. Uh, I do got to compliment uh, your Croc collection, actually. If you haven't met John uh, and next time you're in town, go meet him, man. The guy's, he's extremely unique. He's got a great personality, uh, but his croc collection and vest for that matter, man, you're just, you're killing it with the. Uh, oh, shucks. Oh man. I'm blushing. I'm blushing. Yeah. I think the last one I saw was like all kind of fishing gear attached to your crocs. Yeah. The tech so crocs, awesome. man. Pride of my collection. Pride of my collection. Oh, and Heather, I, I, the Canadians know about Crocs, right? Yeah, Crocs have made it north of the wall. So, yes, we do know about Crocs. Sweet. I don't know if I know anybody that has a Croc collection, though, <laughs> but I did hear about John's before we did this recording. So oh. A little curious about it. How many pairs of Crocs do you have? 
Uh, I've only got four pairs of Crocs. Okay. That's a funny thing. Everybody thinks like, I'm not like the kind of guy that buys every pair of Crocs. I only buy the really cool Crocs. So my collection is, yeah, a little bit more the premium level, you know? <laughs> I feel like you're going to need to define really cool Crocs for me. Oh, these are cool. Oh, okay. hey, you got to send us a picture, John. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that photos. I'll make that happen. I'll make that happen. Um, yeah, they just Crocs does a lot of collabs. So like the ones he's talking about is with a Japanese company called Beams. So they're fishing vest inspired. So they have these little little mesh pockets on the front. Um, nice little like coin purse kind of built in. So yeah, they're they're pretty gnarly. Yeah. Multi-purpose Crocs. There you go. I got some. Go. I got some with lights on them. Um, I think I saw those. Yeah, those are. Yeah, the yeah the, I wore those to the guild meeting. I think. For night crocking. Night crocking. Night crocking. Yeah. Uh, Hey, John, so tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got uh, started over there at um, Martin House and kind of what you're doing these days. Yeah, cool. So uh, the story kind of goes way back. Um, When I was in high school, I actually hit up Martin House. and I was like, hey, I really love you guys. What, you know, what can I do to work for you? And they just said, you know, turn 21. So I, uh, a week after I turned 21, I started volunteering. Back in the day, we had a nice little volunteer program. So I'd come over here on Thursday nights and pour beer. And uh, they just paid me in beer, which was uh, a lot of fun. I miss those days. Um, so I volunteered for about a year here. Uh, went and opened, helped open up another brewery called Parker County Brewing Company, just a little bit west of Fort Worth. I was the assistant brewer there at first. Got promoted to head brewer. And then uh, after two years being there, Martin House had an opening for a night shift brewer. Took the leap, came over here, uh, did night shift for about six months. Um, Then I got moved to the AM brewer, did that for another six months, and then uh, got the opportunity to be the head brewer. So that's when I made my transition into the office. I was still on the brew deck a lot back then, but I was starting to write recipes and order ingredients. And then um, a little over a year ago, um, my boss moved on to become a tattoo artist. Um, So I took over the position of brewmaster and head of production. Um, So I I currently run the whole show on the production side, along with my buddy Rowan, uh, who's my co-head of production. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, if you're not familiar with, with Martin House, you should be. Right. They're, they're doing some pretty wild stuff. And and really, really, that's kind of been y'all's forte. Right. And it, maybe not purposely, but maybe some of it um, purposely, John. But like y- you guys grabbed a, a unique audience. You'll make some kick beers, first of all. But you really grabbed a different audience um, at some stage of the game when y'all were continuing to be unique and creative with what y'all are brewing out there. Right. Yeah, yeah. We uh, when we first opened up, we were definitely more of like a a classic craft brewery. You know, I mean, we had a yeah, we have a double IPA. We had a blonde. Um, Daybreak, the breakfast beer was kind of kind of weird in the market, but nothing compared to what we do now. Um, we did a couple tap room only releases, and man, people just went nuts. So we just kind of never looked back. Yeah, just now our that's what we do is crazy beers for sure well tell us about some of those because i i I can name off a a list but i'm sure it's not even a quarter of what y'all are actually doing out there yeah you're gonna have to talk about the pickle beer yeah oh yeah we'll get a pickle beer i'm sure um and that's another one of those ones that like you know with pickle beer we just made it was for an anniversary i think we we made one keg of it um kind of as a joke and people just went, I mean, great, absolutely crazy. So we kind of started to think like, well, maybe this is something we could, you know, bump up in scale. And thank God we did, because that pickle money really has uh, helped our, our overall expansion for sure. The pickle money. Pickle money. Yeah, and that, <laughs> that's with, uh, with, it's, it's with Best Made, right? And Best Made yeah, is, yeah. is a local, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Best Made's down the street. Um, they're like hundred years old. Um, and, uh, it was a good partnership with them. They're really good homies with us. Um, other people can use pickle, 
can use best made, but we have uh, an agreement with them that nobody else can put it on the label. So we are either, even though there are some other best made pickle beers out there, uh, we're the only one that is advertised directly as a partnership. Yeah. Well, God, there's all other kind of stuff too. Like we'll talk about the, uh, the pickle beer here in, in a second when we talk about barrel aging, but spiced beet sour. And what's this I hear about? <laughs> well, y'all did a hot dog beer, which in itself is odd. We had sugar. We had sugar on, uh, I don't yeah. know, like a couple years back to talk about some of the marketing and some of the product. But and then and then what's this Buffalo Wings beer? Man, we've uh, yeah, I mean, we're getting the crazy stuff. Uh you know, the original crazy beer, the, the original craziest beer was Azathoth. It was a menthol and squid ink beer that was 16%. Um, tasted like mouthwash. <laughs> it was wild. It was this like weird, like green, gray color. Uh, but people loved it. I mean, it was it was just so crazy. There's nothing else out there like it. Um, and yeah, we've done mayonnaise seltzer, hot dog seltzer. Mustard, Sorry, what? Relish, mayonnaise, <laughs> mayonnaise. Yeah, that's that was a fun <laughs> one. We, I'm the inventor of mayonnaise seltzer, so that's kind of cool. Can you explain um, what that tastes like to me? <laughs> Did it actually taste like mayonnaise? Uh, so funny enough, it, it, it kind of smelled like eggs okay. and tasted like a little bit like play doh, hmm. if you can imagine that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of salty. Um, Not that I've eaten yeah, a ton of Play-Doh, like, but everybody's yeah, eaten Play-Doh in their salty. day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was kind of, you know, somebody was like, well, it doesn't really taste like mayonnaise. Like, mayonnaise has lemon in it. Did you put any lemon in it? I was like, no, mayonnaise doesn't taste like lemon, dude. We just put a bunch of mayonnaise in it and spun it up and canned it. <laughs> right. What else do you uh, want? Yeah, I mean, that, that tends to be where we where we go you know if we if we want to test something out let's just you know we did we just recently did a uh spicy sweet chili dorito beer step one buy as many sweet chili doritos as i can and throw them in the tank and then uh we'll go from there you know we'll see how the product is at the end and then we'll work our magic um so yeah nothing's really off limits okay but have you put some stuff in one time and it was like absolutely terrible like it was just completely missed the mark? No, not a whole lot. Now, there's been a couple times where, you know, like our vision for the beer, like the final product is a little different. So we have to pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, but as of right now, we haven't really like put anything in and like ruined a beer. Um, one year we put too many spices in a beer. And when we tried it, we were like, dang, this kind of tastes like Jaeger. So we bought some Red Bull, threw it in there and released Flavormeister into the world. <laughs> so yeah uh, as far as like you know we really don't screw up and dump stuff down the drain very often but we do have to pivot uh we do have to pivot from time to time yeah yeah and y'all have y'all have a a smaller system right that that you can trial stuff on are you just are you you, do you think y'all are put together enough where you know hey we just we could go on the on the full size uh system here and and make do and and pivot there (laughs) Yeah, so we we have a five barrel. So we have three systems. We have a sixty barrel, a thirty barrel, and a five barrel. And uh, the five barrel is kind of supposed to be our like R and D uh, pilot system, but it's really more so just do we want to produce less of it and get real crazy? Um, we trust ourselves fully. We've been doing this for a long time, um, so we a lot of times we just go straight to the big. Like if we think it's going to do well on the big scale, we'll go for it. Um, but yeah, every once in a while we'll, we'll try some stuff out on the pilot. But like I said, most, most of the time it's just how crazy do we want to get and how much do we want to produce of it? You know? Absolutely. What's the strangest thing? Well, subject at hand here, talking barrels. What's the strangest thing y'all have put into a barrel? I love this. Uh, we were talking about it right before the podcast started and we were both kind of scratching our chin. Um, last, uh, for our 10 year anniversary, we released rum ham, which was a, uh, rum barrel aged ham sour. Um, that's probably got to be the weirdest thing we've put into barrels, I think. So you put ham in yeah, what ham. point in time? So we put a couple of honey hams in the boil. Okay. 
Yeah, and they the hams weren't that good afterwards. The bitter, like the hops, made it kind of bitter. Yeah. So we Just didn't really eat a whole lot of the ham, but boiled hoppy honey <laughs> ham. Yeah, but it actually it turned out. I mean, it really did turn out really well. It, the The meatiness didn't really come through a whole lot, but that like sweet honey glaze mm-hmm. uh, worked really well with the beer. Yeah, and then and then you know pickle beer. Y'all have done several iterations in the barrel of that thing, right? And then yeah. I know y'all have an imperial stout that's that's awesome, and I'm sure y'all do several versions of that. Yeah. Uh, peanut butter golden stout, cookie monster. What yeah. uh, what's your favorite? Uh, I'll ask you that. And then two, we talk about just the 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 customer base. Y'all, when y'all release these things, there's just a line out the door waiting for them. Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, that kind of talks to our barrel program. So we have a, a large distro barrel program. Um, I might be getting ahead of myself here, but no, no, please do. Uh, we release about, uh, we release three new barrel aged beers a quarter. So we have 12 distroed barrel aged beers a year. Um, that's about 720 barrels worth of beer. So we, we barrel age what a lot of smaller breweries produce in, <laughs> in a year. Um, but we also do a lot of taproom barrel age releases as well. Um, it's on a less, it's less frequent. Um, but yeah, sometimes if we're doing, you know, we'll, we'll sell single cans of barrel aged beer out of the tap room. And uh, those are pretty sought after for sure. All right. Well, going back to the, the first question there, which one has been your favorite? Man, that is a really tough question. Um, all of our stouts are fire. So, uh, yeah, Queen of the Mist or uh, uh, Queen de Minth is this year's version of the Cookie Monster. Um, so it's just a liquid thin mint that's like 13%. Um, that sounds delicious. Love that. <laughs> absolutely love that beer. It's, uh, it's so amazing. Um, we also do a lot of barrel-aged sours, so we just released Silent Blue earlier this year, which is a whiskey barrel-aged blueberry and lactose sour. Um, I'd have to say that both of those probably um, hold my 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 top two favorite. Oh, but awesome. they're all they're they're all I mean they're they're all fire. Like I said, I mean we have a really good stout program, so every barrel-aged stout we do is just amazing. Yep. Absolutely. When you so when we talk about all these unique beers you're already doing, um, how, what's the, is there a process where you look, you know, with your crew and say, all right, this particular beer, we're going to try to put this in a barrel because, you know, this has certain characteristics, characteristics we think might, you know, pair well with with, um, you know, getting some face time with the, the barrel. And then secondly, like, how do you how do you is there a specific uh kind of sop or whatever that you guys say hey uh we're gonna use a tequila barrel for this we're gonna use uh i don't know cognac or cognac or whatever is there is there something you're thinking about prior to dumping it in a barrel um yeah so this kind of gets thrown back you know you you mentioned suge earlier he's our uh, brand manager um and really he's kind of he, he he is mr martin house so everything we do he he kind of thinks it out in a marketing standpoint what does he think sounds good? What looks good on a label? What can he get excited to sell? And then he comes to us and says, hey, I want this. So as for like what rhyme or reason he picks, I really don't know. Um, we do like to keep it fresh. So, you know, we have a tequila, you know, we have a tequila barrel aged uh, fruit punch sour coming out Q1 of 24. Um and I think it was just, you know, we've done a lot of whiskey barrels lately. Let's just throw a tequila barrel in there. Um, Queen of the Mist has been historically in wine barrels. So we're bringing that back, throwing that in the wine. Um, but it's really just what we think is going to taste best and uh, really accentuate what the, the base beer is. Yeah, I'm bouncing around here a little bit, John. So um, just thinking about it. So what what are your biggest challenges uh when it comes to uh barrel aging it's a lot of work you know yeah um, <laughs> time <laughs> yeah sourcing barrels 
Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Where are you sourcing your barrels from? Do you deal with like kind of like a broker that does all that? Or are you going direct to wineries and distilleries uh, looking for these barrels? It's a, a little bit of, of all of it. Um, I have four brokers that I hit up um, and I just tell them what I want. And then I get, you know, they'll let me know two of them won't have what I need. So they'll get kind of knocked out. And then the other two, they can tell me what they have and pricing. And then I can just kind of choose from there. Um, so, yeah, just cast a wide net and then reel it in. Um, we, we've tried to go straight to distilleries. Most of the time they want to work with a broker, like they already have deals with brokers. So a lot of times we'll go to someone and they'll, they'll direct us back to someone we already work with. Um, but a couple of times, like we tried to source sake barrels last year, really hard to find sake barrels. Yeah. Uh, and we may, we actually managed to find one of the 36 we were trying to get. So we just did a one-off sake barrel beer. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I just hit up those guys and and they let me know what they have. <laughs> Yeah, let them do the legwork. Yeah, and 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 even to go deeper in that, because I'm sure you're probably going to ask the question. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, what kind of barrels?" For whiskey, we've gotten really good results, kind of just getting generic whiskey barrels. So I've got one of my sources; she gets me really cheap whiskey barrels, freshly dumped, and it tends to be like a mix of like Jim Beam, Heaven Hill, Wild Turkey. Um, we, we really aren't sure if it's worth the price of trying to get the nuances of a more expensive whiskey barrel. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. We tend, I mean, I, I, I got mad respect for people that, that can do that, but when you're buying 36 or 54 barrels at a time, I just can't go and get, you know, the craziest whiskey. We, we can't get Pappy Van Winkle barrels. And that. All the name brand barrels. Yeah, yeah. 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 So for the listeners out there that may want to jump into barrel aging, right, and they don't have a whole lot of, you know, familiarity or, or confidence in it, what are what are some of the things <clears throat> that you would suggest to, to jump right into it? Or like, what are the things you need to look out for or, you know, for instance, you know, first receiving that first barrel, you know, what's, what's, what's the first, uh, what do they need to do with it? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think the important thing is to get freshly dumped barrels. You want to get them nice and wet. It's always nice when they got a little bit of juice laying around in the bottom. Um, and once you get them, you want to, I mean, for us, we, we have the ability to steam them. If you can't steam them, fill them up with uh, boiling hot water just try to get them swollen up so they'll hold liquid. Um, try to make them clean and, you know, sterile for 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 the beer. Um, but, yeah, I mean, really the big thing is just get them and get them filled as fast as you can so they're not sitting around. Um, you let them go too long, they get dried out. There's a higher chance for infection. Um, those barrels will open up and they will dump beer for sure. Um, so yeah, the biggest thing is just get good barrels that can hold liquid and try to make sure that they're sanitized and, you know, like I said, boiling water. I know there are some products you can put into barrels for that, but we, we have a steam wand, so we just steam them. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really the, the key there. Yeah. Do y'all get multiple uses out of some of your barrels or is it a single use? (laughs) Sometimes we do um, a lot of those like tap room only releases. We will get get two uses out of them. Um, most of the time, when you, I mean, when you get it, especially with beer, if you're going to reuse them, you're probably not going to get any liquor flavor. You're going to yeah. just get that wood. Um, so some sometimes we do, um, but oh, not 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 all the time. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes to cut cost. So that that's another thing to touch on is like, if you're going to reuse a barrel, you want to make sure you empty it and fill it up. You don't want to let it sit around. So sometimes what we'll do to kind of help cost of a beer, we'll do half the batch in second use barrels. So we'll get that, the woody character, and then we'll do the other half in fresh barrels. That way we can still get some of the, some of that boozy goodness in there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when you're when you're aging 
the barrels and it's hot as hell here in Texas. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's, they're obviously not, you know, it's, well, they are ambient temperature. Right. So in, in that sense, when you're throwing stuff in a barrel in Texas heat, uh, it's like a roller coaster, but that's what's unique about barrel aging. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just, just curious if, you know, if there's something specific you do or do y'all just, you know, throw it in the barrels and let magic happen. Um, we do have a barrel room that's climate controlled to a point. I mean, it is, it is Texas and it's attached to our warehouse. So definitely during the summer, there are some swings. Um, but yeah, we, we, it's, it's temperature controlled. It's about 72 okay. in the air. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I mean, really it is just fill them up, tuck them away and just, you know, try not to touch them, you know, <laughs> come back to them as late as we can. Yeah. We, oh, we awesome. have a, we have a shorter barrel aging time than a lot of other breweries do um, just because of the volume. Like, you know, we need the space. So unless we take a beer out, we can't put another one in. Um, so we shoot for like six to eight months, but a lot of times we're, we're like closer to that, like four or five month range, but we still get great results. Um, whether that comes from, I think it probably just comes from the fact that we get really wet barrels. Um, but yeah, the temperature swings probably play a good part in that as well. Yeah. Really cool. Well, John, Hey, I appreciate you jumping on, uh, as, as discussed, and I can't say it enough, y'all are doing some, some really creative and cool stuff. Um, and I commend y'all for, for sticking to, to what y'all want to do and being creative. And I, I, I imagine as a brewer, it makes it a little bit easier to get up and go to work every day when y'all get to do some, some cool creative stuff. Right. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the dream and you know, yeah, we keep it, we keep it fresh. I don't really get bored very often. Yeah. Well, Hey, we appreciate you coming on John. And if, uh, for those that are in town, uh, Martin house over in Fort Worth, Texas, I appreciate, um, y'all coming on and chatting with us a little bit and looking forward to trying some of that barrel age stuff that, uh, that you mentioned. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Can't wait for you to try it next time. Next time you come by, we'll hang out and crack some open. I am interested. Let's go out and see John and uh, the folks at Martin house. So appreciate you coming on John. Um, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Big thanks to John Laughman from Martin House Brewing in Fort Worth, Texas, and to Sean Sasser from Cigar City in Tampa, Florida. With that much information, what a fantastic episode. Yeah, I feel like I could start my own barrel program. I think you should. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Uh, just a reminder, it is uh, the Pink Boots uh, Hot Blend pre-sale is going on now. So make sure to reach out to your uh, sales rep to get your pre-sale in. There's limited quantities available this year. So uh, make sure you get on top of that before it's gone. Uh, and make sure to subscribe to the Brew Deck podcast uh, wherever you like to listen to your podcast. And we'll see you next time. See you next week. <laughs>